Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. It is May the 5th, 2014 in the evening as we're recording this episode. The Orioles, the Orioles are in second place in the American League East with a 15 and 14 record, which is occasionally disappointing. But anyway, I am joined as I am often joined on the podcast by my podcasting partner in crime, Stacy Folkemer. Stacy, how's it going? Hello, it is going pretty good. Other than this weekend's baseball team. Yes, and obviously there's one burning question on everybody's mind, and uh, that is who are the Ravens going to take in the first round of the NFL draft? So do you have any thoughts on that? Um, no. No, I don't have any thoughts on that either. I don't even know when the draft is. Although I was hearing today that apparently people are going through draft fatigue because they push the draft back sometime and everyone is whatever. I don't even know what that means. I don't understand how who gives a crap. I don't understand how people can even talk about football when it's not football season. Honestly, there's baseball on. What are you doing? Okay. Anyway, so here's the Orioles. So last episode, uh, we kind of banned ourselves from talking about Nick Markakis unless he did something good. And uh, it turns out Stacy and I were both in attendance at the Twilight doubleheader last Thursday when the Orioles beat the Pirates two games in the same day. And uh, Nick Markakis homered in each game. Uh, we honestly, I don't think, I, I didn't really believe what I was seeing. And yet it happened. So now we're allowed to talk about him again because we're not just going to say bad things about him because it turns out that Nick Markakis, uh, after hitting those two home runs, well, and, and over the weekend of, you know, doing whatever, he's now batting 306 with a 361 on base percentage, 413 slugging percentage. It's less than we again we might have hoped after his uh, his early good years, but it's a whole lot better than the awful that was last year. So mm-hmm. I guess it's and even earlier this season and even earlier this season where he was doing worse than last year. So I guess it's it's going to be interesting to see whether he can uh, keep up getting enough power every now and again that he's not just complete waste of space. Mhm. Yeah, I mean I'm happy with. With the way he's played, uh, in a way, like you said, it's not as good as we thought back years ago. But I think that it's we have re, at least I have recalibrated my expectations for him, and I think that's based mostly on how we were expecting to be kind of disappointed, you know. Um, so I think he doesn't really have much power, despite those two home runs, which, by the way, were not. If you did not see them, were not cheap home runs. They were both line drives, and they were both nice. They were great um you know so at least we know that he is capable of getting a hold of one every now and then and but i think you know even without the power a guy on this baseball team this orioles team who can get on base at a 361 clip is is pretty valuable because the orioles don't have many guys that can do that yeah so he's basically got what the best on base percentage on the team now because he's behind cruz and Weeders, Weeders. having three guys above 360 is not terrible. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Chris Davis is actually ahead of him as well. Oh, he is. I, I guess Since... I forgot about Chris Davis. Uh, one, because he wasn't hitting home runs, and two, because now he's got his oblique thing he's working his way back from. Yeah, he wasn't hitting home runs, but he has been taking his walks when he was healthy, so that helped a little bit with his stats. Davis batting 250, but with an on-base percentage of 372. That'll 
It's almost like you can uh, you cannot swing, and if they throw the ball out of the strike zone, you can walk to first base. It's amazing how that works. Yeah, I feel like sometimes some players on the Orioles uh, are not aware of that rule. Who are you talking about? Well, Adam Jones. I mean, not that I'm talking about J.J. Hardy or anything. Oh, J.J. What's wrong with him? It, that's a very good question, and I don't even know where to begin with him. He's battled a couple nagging injuries so far. Was it the same nagging injury that flared up twice? I actually don't recall. He had a... He had a back, back and then he had a hamstring. That's right. That's right. So that is, I mean, could possibly be something that we give as an excuse for why JJ... I mean, you know, we've seen JJ be pretty bad in the past. He's not always... I mean, he's never been the on-base guy, but was it two years was it 2012 even though the Orioles were good when he was terrible was it 2013 2013 he was terrible 2012 yeah his on-base percentage was 282 for the whole season but he also had Um, 22 homers right which he's not doing that now either which makes it even worse no homers so far in 2014 yeah I mean and if he I mean really if he has been having back troubles then that could, I mean, be a legitimate reason why that's happening. I don't know if that's true. I, he could be feeling 100%, in which case, who the heck knows. But he he is becoming a very big hole in the lineup, that's for sure. It's It sucks. And, of course, you know, before the season started, we were hoping, oh, man, the Orioles, they better extend J.J. Hardy. And now it's like, oh. Right, yeah, but, I don't, I mean, I don't, maybe he'll... You know, in a month, in six weeks, we this will be this could be a distant memory, and we again want to see you know see the Orioles maybe sign him to an extension, but right now he is just brutal. As as we saw with Nick Markakis, really it only takes you know a couple home runs and then mm-hmm. then you know we want to we want to talk ourselves into these guys being good. Right. You know we don't want to sit around talking crap about everyone. Right. And, you know, J.J. still has under 100 plate appearances for the year. And so he's a couple good games away from having a completely different hitting line and giving us a completely different mindset. So it's kind of a small sample size for all of the guys still, even though it's, you know, it's been about a month. But him especially since he missed – he's played in 21 games. And I think that one of them, at least he came out early, right? So, you know, he's played in 21 games, 86 plate appearances – that could change like like that, but he just looks totally lost. Yeah, he's he never walked a lot, but his walk rate is even lower. The last three years with the Orioles, it was 5.5%, 5.3%, 5.9%. This year so far, he's at a 3.5%. Yeah, I mean, he has three walks on the year. You know, if he takes one walk in each of the next three games, suddenly his, you know, because it's such a small amount, his number will will shoot up. I mean, it'll never go past six. I can't even imagine that. But, um, you know, back to normal for JJ. Yeah. But he, I keep waiting for him to get it together. I keep thinking he's gonna, I still think he's gonna get it together. Um, at least in the power department. Because he never seemed to, has, he's never had that problem since he got here. His best on base percentage in his years with the Orioles was 310, which is, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. But if you're slugging 491 when you're Getting on base at 310, which is what he did in 2011. Hey, that's pretty good. 
Mm-hmm. He that was a good year for him. Thirty home runs, but he only played in 129 games. Man, it's too bad the Orioles weren't good that year. That would have been nice. It would have been nice to have that JJ Hardy on the uh, one of the last two years of Orioles, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Although he was in JJ terms, he was he was okay last year. I mean, I'm never gonna get uh, worked up over 306 on base percentage, but he still hit 25 homers. We do like the homers. And plays a uh, good defense. So those two things together kind of wash out the the bad on base for me. Yeah, and it and it only takes one game and we'll start getting excited. Like right now, now we're excited for Ubaldo Jimenez again. Yeah, we are. Not, you know, before his most recent start against the Twins, I was just like dreading every start and... Like, every time he made a start, I would think, well, there's only, like, 125 starts left on this contract. <laughs> oh. The good news is it'll be over eventually. Yes. But then then suddenly he struck out 10 guys in a game. Yeah, and, and only, only walked, walked one. one guy. Yeah. I'm sure it was the Twins, but actually, I mean, that's all the more impressive because the Twins have been, like, the, the, the most patient team in – baseball so far this year I believe is uh, of course it's possible that uh, Jim Hunter was incorrect in sake so I believe I heard that on Mass and uh, sometime over the weekend series they have the highest walk rate so far this season so the fact that Ubaldo only walked one guy in seven and third innings uh, on the, the most patient team so far it's like hey wait a minute maybe this guy can actually be good yeah he really looked he looked really really different than in the previous years. I mean, in the previous starts this year, he, I mean, he always, he has those, that funky windup that's kind of hard to get used to. And I think also the source of some of his troubles, but even with that, his pitches in the previous starts, I mean, you know, when he's walking three, four five guys a game, it looks like, it looked like he had no idea where it was going. Just, you know, it had, it had really good, it had good movement, like, you know, but it, seemed completely wild and he didn't seem that way at all in the most recent game he seemed crazy good movement around the strike zone in the strike zone fooling guys and I mean he's done it before and I know it's only been one start but like you said that's all it takes for me and you to get excited I mean it was all we really were looking for is like one game to be like oh that's why they gave this guy 50 million dollars and that was it now at least i mm-hmm. know okay this is what good ubaldo jimenez looks like oh and he got ground balls oh yeah not, was it not 12 only that to three yeah he had only had three fly balls in the whole game one of them was a pop out to the first baseman in foul territory and the other two one was a hit one was a fly out and they both came in the eighth inning which was his last inning so Pretty impressive. Right. He didn't have a fly out until that eighth inning, I believe, is what the... Uh... Right. All he had was the, the one pop-up in the infield. I mean, so. that'll play. Yeah. That's pretty good. Get that guy in Camden Yards, and it's like, oh, well, that's not yeah, bad. And I, th- I think that... I don't think either one of us is crazy enough to think that we're not going to see a bad Ubaldo again. But I think if, you know... We can get to a point where two thirds of the time, maybe we can expect good Ubaldo. Then that will help this team a ton. Especially because the rotation right now, 
Well, it's not it's not even like they're terrible, like they're the worst starting rotation in baseball or something, although I believe they're they're on the lower third. I I think I saw earlier today they're uh like twenty third in starter ERA or something, which is well, that's about what we would expect for Orioles starters, but at least they're not like twenty ninth, which is also something we've seen not so long ago. But the big problem with the starters is they're just not going deep into the games because right. um, I think a stat I saw from Steve Molesky over the weekend was showing the pit, the average pitch counts per inning for all the starters. And the lowest was like Bud Norris with uh, with like 17 pitches per inning, which so basically none <laughs> of the starters are averaging where they can go six innings and have under 100 pitches. No, none of them. And they're not even all going six innings. Yeah. And even the starts when results-wise, when they're in, they're not terrible. They just, they leave so early because they run out of gas because they've thrown so many pitches. And, you know, it's funny, like, multiple times on the pregame show with Jim Hunter or whoever, they bring up whoever they're interviewing, whether it's Buck or whether it's uh, the pitching coach, they'll say something like, oh, is there anything you can do about all those foul balls? Throw better like, pitches is what right, you can do, not what... have crappy pitchers who can't oh, yeah, they're, anybody up. They're throwing strikes, but what can you do about those foul? And I'm just like, um, they could throw better pitches. Just because you're throwing strikes doesn't mean it's a good pitch. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's funny because, you know, that's that's Jim Hunter. But I don't know. It It's very frustrating. And if it doesn't stop, the bullpen is going to just just keel over. It, it's I mean, I guess this is what we always have to deal with. It just seems like every year it's like, well, OK, the starters just need to go deeper into games and then they don't. And then it's like July and the bullpen dies and. That's just the way it goes. It doesn't matter who's in the rotation. It doesn't matter anything. It's just that's what happens. Of course, we, we got the most extreme of the the pitch count innings in the first inning of, what was that, the second game, right, of the uh, yes. the Pirates doubleheader with, with Tillman throwing a 49-pitch inning in the first inning, including... What, what did he throw? 16 pitches? Like, Stacy went up and left her seat to go get food or something and came back in the same at-bat. Guy... <laughs> that was that at-bat against uh, Gabby Sanchez that was, I think, 14 pitches? 13 or 14 pitches. Yeah, it got to a 3-2 count, and then there was, like, eight foul balls in the, in the process. You, li- yes. you literally left, like, two pitches into that at-bat and came back before it was over. Yep, it was uh, not pretty. Although Gabby's hinges, I believe, ended up flying out. It was the next two batters that he uh, walked in runs. Oh, man. So at least he got Sanchez. I totally forgot about that. I mean, they had Troy Patton tweeting in the first inning. Tweeting? What? I'm looking at Twitter right now. <laughs> got Twitter on the brain. That's embarrassing. That's probably the most embarrassing thing I've ever said. And this is uh, well, Maybe he was tweeting. He might have been tweeting. He was warming up. <laughs> I'm just going to go over in the corner now. Carry on without me. <laughs> Goodbye. I can't do the the thing without you. You're the host. Come back. Oh, boy. Okay. Let's pretend that didn't happen. But uh, So the starting rotation, I mean, the, the foul balls, it, it's not bad luck. It's like it's one of those Jim Hunter things. Like sometimes... You'll you'll hear him say this, and, I, and another one of his favorites is like, and I and the Orioles displayed it uh, a ton 
in the Twins game because they kept flying out to like deep center field every time. And Jim Hunter will be like, wow, that was such bad luck that Orioles just kept flying out to the deepest part of the park. <laughs> it's not bad luck. That's what happened because they just tried to hit it right to center field. Yeah, I think that uh, there can be kind of one-on-one at-bats that where – well, I guess it could be either a good pitcher and a good hitter or a bad, but you know, where a guy fouls off a lot of pitches and at the end you're like, Oh, what an at bat. Like, you know, no matter what happens, you kind of feel like, but when it's happening over and over and over again, that's a little bit different. Yeah. It doesn't matter who the batter is. They're going to find a way to just drive up pitch counts on the Orioles. I mean, they're just all doing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I don't know if it's they don't have a put away pitch or if they I don't they just aren't pitching uh good enough. I don't really know what it is. It just it needs to get better or, you know, it'll be brutal. It's not I mean, even think like of, they're incapable of striking out batters. It's just it takes them such a long time to do it some, yeah, some, they, some uh, batters they just can't put away. Yeah, so they're averaging the starters are averaging five point seven innings per game, which is the worst in the majors is 5.5. So they're, you know, they're pretty much and Tampa down Bay. to the bottom. And so, yeah, well, at least Tampa Bay and Toronto are below them in the same division. <laughs> That's something. The, uh, the AL East is not living up to its fearsome reputation no. so far this year. It, uh, it's, it's looking like, I don't, I don't even really know, but it's, it's, everybody's very close, but they're all looking very flawed also. Mm-hmm. Of course, if we want to talk about the great specter of run differential, there's no team with a positive run differential going into Monday's games in the AL East. Uh, the team with the worst run differential is the New York Yankees with minus 16. And that means... Uh, well, And they're in first place. And the team with the yeah. best run differential is the Toronto Blue Jays with zero run differential they've scored as many runs as they've allowed and they're in last place two and a half games behind with a 14 and 17 record so yeah it's so i mean it's so closely you know packed in there but it's not like like you said it's not because every team is playing well every team is playing equally as crappy it seems like yeah so i mean do i will that turn around it probably will for one or two teams and those will be the teams that are still in it at the end of the the season but i mean overall i mean tampa bay has had terrible luck with their pitchers it seems unlikely that all five of these teams will just keep muddling around one or two games above or below 500 for so long yeah eventually it'll someone will pull away and i know that boston has been uh, not that great this year but they they at least had their starters going into the seventh inning averaging, and I think that they'll probably be the ones, sadly, who who get better. That's just my my feeling. I don't think that they're going to stay a 500 team the whole year. It would surprise me if they do. I mean, with Tampa Bay losing multiple pitchers, it seems to me that Boston is clearly the team that is most likely to rise to the top. I would have kind of given it Tampa Bay, Boston kind of a more equal footing without it, but I'm with them down. It seems like it's just a matter of time and that's probably pessimistic of me. Maybe the Orioles can, can string it together, but 
I don't know. The Orioles... Maybe it would be different if I was watching the Red Sox games because the guy the over the Muzzer guys on Twitter seemed pretty miserable all the time. Well, they seemed miserable even when they <laughs> were going to win the World Series and they went on to win the World Series. Like, all of them were miserable. So, I don't well, know. Fair enough. Like... I, I mean, maybe we would be miserable if the Orioles were on their way to the World Series, and sometimes they were just really bad. I would like the opportunity to find out. Seriously, me too. That would be exciting. I guess one question to ask would be, what would it take for the Orioles to kind of break out of that pack? Because, well, we really saw last year, uh, what was it? They basically were above 500 in April and then played 500 for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this year they're just going to be like 500 all year because they had the 500 April, basically. Yeah, I think the most the most obvious thing, of course, is the pitching. There's it's the most obvious thing if they I mean, their starter, if the starters can go deeper, if they can stop giving up so, you know, many runs, then I think that that would go a long way. But I think the more likely thing, if the Orioles are going to hang around, is Chris Davis gets back. And he hits like Chris Davis and JJ Hardy, you know, come stops being a pumpkin and starts hitting. And, you know, Adam Jones, who we haven't even really talked about. Yeah, We've been talking for 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't, I think that might've been the first time either one of us said Adam Jones's name. I, <laughs> but I, I mean, think it's so, because he makes us so sad. Yeah. So, I mean, if Adam Jones, JJ Hardy can get back to what we know they're capable of, Chris Davis comes back healthy and starts hitting home runs again. I think that that's more likely a way to keep the Orioles in it for a while or keep them even up near the top is just a lot of slugfests and uh, maybe it'll happen. Of course, I now have Manny Machado back, so hopefully that will stabilize the infield defense somewhat. Cause, uh, yes. Really, no one ever looked good at third base, but Jonathan Scope in particular just had some real blunders out there. Of course, he kind of has repeated that at second base at times. Maybe he just needs more experience, but, you know, they can't all be just instantly as good as Manny Machado. Right. Much as, We're much spoiled as we last wish. Year. Well, Scope has been very shaky, and I think, I mean, unfortunately, there was a sad day this weekend when Hardy and Machado both made errors in the same game, but I think generally, if Hardy and Machado can stay healthy then that will go a long way, but they're still going to have, I mean, scope just looks, I mean, he looks better at second, but just lost sometimes. And then you got Nelson Cruz making it a circus out in left field. Every time he's out there, even though I'm very much loving Nelson Cruz, it's still quite an adventure. So, I mean, the defense has to get better now that Manny's back. There's no other option. Is it good enough to make a huge difference? I guess we'll find out. It's certainly something where we can hope for improvement, but just because we hope for it, that doesn't mean that will actually be the case. But it's one thing that can be better. Of course, uh, you know, well, not that errors are the be-all, end-all of whatever, but the Orioles had, like, the fewest errors ever in a 162-game season last year. So, you know, that doesn't automatically mean they were the best defense ever. But No, but we know that they were good. They were very good. You know, I obviously have not seen every defense in history uh, of the 162-game seasons, but there were there were just a lot of good defenders out there, and collectively they were good as well as individually, which we haven't seen on display this year. They're making more errors, and they just don't have the right guys in the right spots to just be this 
machine that dispenses hitters all the time. Yeah, I'm. I mean, last year second base was not ever a strong suit anyway. Flaherty was okay, is is fairly Flaherty is a pretty good defensive second baseman, but once Brian Roberts got back, you know that he didn't make any errors because he didn't get to anything. <laughs> so he I, he was never really uh, the strong point, let's say. But Davis was pretty was pretty good, and then so the infield overall was, including Weeders, was was very good, and we just haven't seen that so far yet this year. And you know, it's funny. Def- when you have good defense, I mean, you always kind of, wow, at the good plays. But when you have good defense, I don't think that you even, you don't really miss it until you don't have it. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, what is happening out there? So it's it's an easy thing to overlook. It, but like all the plays so- to third base where we would look at and say, oh, man, Manny would have had it. Like, even if he wouldn't have it, just you feel like he would have. Mm-hmm. He would have at least, even though one's the plays that he didn't you at least have a confident idea that he would have a chance and i you don't feel that way with with scope i mean of course we're only what a year and a half two years removed from mark reynolds and wilson Betamite. so i guess oh, oh. so i i guess that we we just got used to manny very very quickly you know, I don't know that I've ever fully appreciated that. The Orioles made the playoffs in a year where half their games, the third baseman, was either Mark Reynolds or Wilson Bedamine. Yes. What a year that was. I mean, really. It's it's easy to forget, but that was something special. Yep. All right, so that's enough of being sad about uh, Adam Jones not doing well anyway. I don't, I don't want to beat Adam Jones up the way I beat Nick Markakis up. He, he just, I don't know what's wrong with him. No, I don't either. And I feel like I am an Adam Jones defender and not because he people jump on him a lot. And he has there is no denying he has been abysmal at the plate this year. But there's also no denying that he is one of the most talented hitters on the team. And so I think that I think that he'll he'll turn it around. I have to think that. But that's it for Adam. We don't want to be sad. The weird, the thing that is weird about him is, of course, he's always going to frustrate us with swinging out of the zone, but he's actually mm-hmm. got the lowest percentage of out of zone swings uh, as he's had in the last five seasons. He's swinging at 39.7% uh, of pitches outside the zone, which is which is a lot, mind you, because the league average fan graphs tells me is 29%. So. Uh, he's basically swinging, you know, uh, about a third more than at the average hitter out of the zone, which it's a lot, but it's less for him, and yet the results aren't there. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. He's not even walking more. Like he's not. He's swinging less. He's not walking more. He's being more selective, but he's not hitting better. It's too much for me to think about. I don't. I can't you know, put my finger on this is what he's doing wrong because I don't know. But I do think that he'll he'll bounce out of it. Yeah, he's he's too good not to. But in the meantime, it is uncomfortable, especially because, you know, there's no way they can, you know, dump him out of the middle of the lineup. He's pretty much the at least it seems like from the outside, he seems like the leader of the team. Maybe there's a secret leader in the locker room we don't know about. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that they should move him. I mean, it's it's tough having him come up to the plate in the middle of the lineup when he's slumping like this and not get the runner in or 
whatever he needs to do at the time. But I mean, lineups in general don't mean as much as people make them out to be. And I think that like dropping him down to seventh or something, I don't know how it would go over. And I think that it would probably just be better to leave him where he is, in my opinion. Right. And he's only one mistake away from hitting a home run at any time. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you know, I, it's not like sud- pitchers suddenly know, okay, this is what I need to throw to get Adam Jones out. Like, that's been pretty obvious his entire career. Right. They know. Like, you know, <laughs> but doing it is another story entirely. Right. And also, he has, I mean, he's always, I, he's never, you know, players are who they are to a certain extent. You know, you can improve and can adjust, but at their, you know, at their core, a lot of players are. You know, that's why low on base guys remain low on base guys. But he does. There are times where I'm just waiting for him to swing at that pitch and he doesn't. And, you know, it's like I can tell that it kills him not to swing at it. You can but see he doesn't. him lay it off like mm-hmm. twice. And then the third time and he swings he, at him. So I just he's just he's just too good to to stay how he is. And that's my only what, you know, over the last three years he has like what, like 70 something 90 home runs over the last three years so i think that he'll be fine i don't will he be fine enough to bounce back to his year-long numbers look as good as we hope they will who knows but i can't worry you know can't worry about that right now i just i think he's got a hot tear in him coming soon maybe it will start in this series against the rays coming up that would be nice yes indeed Orioles play in the Rays Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I, I don't know what they're doing after that. but Houston, coming home for Houston. Oh, yeah. Well, that didn't go so well for him last year, if I remember. I don't even I don't even want to imagine the Orioles fans if they get swept by Houston at home. I can't even. But we don't need to worry about that. First, Tampa Bay. Right. One thing at a time. That's for sure. And All right. So Adam Jones, uh, he's he's got to be better. I don't know when he'll be better. But he will be better. It, it will I hopefully be soon. One thing we wanted to squeeze in here, and st- just Stacy and I are occasionally amused by just the, the ins and outs on a daily basis of following a baseball team, because sometimes there's stuff that's just really funny that happens. And uh, if you don't follow them as obsessively as we do, which is, you know, it's totally fine. It's it's probably a little unhealthy for Stacy and I, in fact. Not that I'm calling you unhealthy, Stacy. I, I, you know, I am. It's okay. Uh, obviously, I'm in the, I'm in that category too. But sometimes you just get these stories that just seem like, oh my God, they're a huge deal, and then it turns out they're not. Uh, we had one of those last week with Kevin Gossman, who was placed on the disabled list at Norfolk, and initially they said, okay, he had an intercostal strain that was caused by coughing in his sleep. Now you may remember a few years ago, uh, Brian Mattis, I believe had an intercostal strain that was caused by sneezing really hard in spring training or something like that. And, of course, after that intercostal strain, he was terrible. So if if you remember that reflexively, you may have thought, oh, no, now Kevin Gossman will be terrible like Brian Mattis. Um, you may also have not heard about it at all because the, the thing is, it died down because later in the day they were like, oh, wait, no, it turns out it's not an intercostal strain. He actually has pneumonia. Right. Well, I think there was some the thing that and it, which seems totally ridiculous. How do you mix those two up? Like, but I think that what there was some confusion where it I don't know if the beat reporters thought this or people just misinterpreted it, where it sounded like he'd already had an MRI and they said, oh, intercostal strain. And then the next day they said pneumonia, which 
makes no sense because you don't look at an MRI and think that. But it turns out later, the MRI is what showed the pneumonia. So I think there was some time confusion on when the MRI happened. So that makes it a little bit more understandable about what happened. Uh, But it still is kind of and it's funny to just be like, who over pneumonia? Because obviously pneumonia is a is a serious thing, but it's the kind of thing that can be fixed quickly through antibiotics and not something that could derail his career for sure and i mean i i guess i figured okay so maybe it was like he told the trainer okay it hurts in my ribs or something and the Mm -hmm. trainer is you know his job is figure out bones and muscles so he's like okay you must have an intercostal strain and then right then maybe they did the mri and then it's like right i I think that's what happened medical doctor did the mri and it's like oh no that's pneumonia man yeah yeah so a way to turn around quickly and like i said uh in the in the article that i updated like five times about his intercostal strain turned uh, pneumonia. It makes sense to me now because when I had a lung problem, when it initially surfaced, I thought, and I'd had a cold at the same time, I thought that I'd pulled a muscle like about in like my shoulder blade area from coughing. And that's what I thought it was for a while. And it turned out it wasn't, it was something more serious. So which more serious for me because I'm not a professional baseball player. Like, (laughs) like, uh, uh, Kevin Gossman, but so I mean, now that they said that, it makes sense. So I just thought the MRI had happened already. So it's nice that we can just be like, oh, good, just get that taken care of and come back healthy. And you know, it might push him back getting too uh, promoted, but ultimately, that's not a huge, not a huge deal, I don't think. No, it's it's not going to sideline him for as long. It's like okay, I mean, and you know, he's he's young and strong, so pneumonia should not knock him down right. for long. Yeah. It's not like if if somebody's grandma gets pneumonia and then right. Terminology is not elderly or has an immune system problem, so I think it'll be all right. Yeah. So so that happened and it was pretty funny for like a day and if, if you came late to it you didn't experience that. But just baseball is full of things like that. It, it's it's just always amusing to me to see them happen. Speaking of irrelevant news stories, sometime over the weekend the Orioles outrighted David Adams to Double A Bowie. He was on the 40-man roster hanging out in Norfolk, and uh, they just kicked him off the 40-man for no reason whatsoever. The ways of Dan Duquette are inscrutable as ever. Course, yes, there don't, yeah, go ahead. there don't appear to be any reasons for why they did it. The, the conspiracy crowd kicked him to overdrive and was like, oh, no, the Orioles are going to sign Kendry Morales, which is pretty ridiculous, I think. Yes, I think so. I mean, and Dan Duquette shot it down, which, as we all know, doesn't really necessarily mean anything, but he did shoot it down. But I think that there's the issue with if they were going to sign Kendrys Morales, that would mean that they would think that Chris Davis was going to be taking a long time to get back because by the time Morales gets signed, gets, you know, in physical shape enough and game speed enough to play, Davis will be back. So there won't really be a place for him. So... If they do sign him, that means I think worse things for the for the Orioles as far as Chris Davis goes. Yeah, the way Duquette shot that down was not only did he say they weren't, but he said that they had been interested in him before they signed Nelson Cruz. So, you know, unless he was just completely lying about that, which I mean is entirely possible. But you know, then it's also possible that Scott Boris fed whatever reporter. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was John Heyman. I I wasn't gonna. Name names, but no, it, it, you know, it was John Heyman who gets every Scott Boris client scoop, uh, both legitimate and non-legitimate. 
because that's just the way it goes. So, you know, somebody would like Henry Morales to come or to have the Orioles interested in him anyway. But I, I just don't think that's really was ever true. Yeah, there's really no place for him with uh, Davis supposedly being ahead of schedule and the Orioles already have, you know, Cruz is playing well. Delman Young is actually playing yeah, pretty Delman well. Delman Young is playing non-terribly. He's not lighting the world mm-hmm. on fire, but well, actually Delman Young has the best OPS on the team. He's not playing full time, but uh, he doesn't have the best OPS on the team. I'm lying. He has the third best OPS on the team. Take out, take out Cruz and Weeders. He's the best. Excuse me. Right. So bottom line, there's no really, really no place for, I don't think, for Kenji Morales, which now that we say that means they'll probably sign him tomorrow. I mean, because it's not like the draft pick matters at this point. Like, what do the Orioles care? Uh, we'll give up our third rounder now. Okay. Who cares? Third rounder. It's, yeah, I mean, he, he could get signed before anyone even listens to this podcast. That would serve us right. But uh, I don't, he won't. I, I, I it would, I'm standing, it would standing strong me. on it. I just don't know where they would squeeze him in. What would be the point? Right. So as far as opening up a 40-man spot, I mean, it's Dan Ducat loves to waiver claim random dudes, and he might have just wanted to clear space. So his next waiver claim that comes along, he doesn't have to uh, doesn't have to DFA anybody at that time. It seems like that would be also in the Dan Ducat playbook. I just don't think Kendry Morales, the Orioles, just I don't know what he would add, and I don't know. Maybe the day after the draft, someone will sign him, but I don't think it'll be the Orioles. But there are actual a pitcher. no, there are actual Orioles who are working their way back from injury that you can be excited about, and one I'm I'm surprised that I'm excited about because Johan Santana, I just figured was a joke that they signed him and it was a lark and that would never be anything. And dang it, I'm getting sucked into all these reports about okay, his velocity is steadily ticking up and. What was it? Uh, just today, he threw like two innings in extended spring, and they were like, "Oh no, he's hitting 89, which is enough where you know he can probably play in that level." Yeah, I think that the main concern is that he needs to get his fastball up enough to make his changeup, which is his most devastating pitch, be uh, worth it. So they just he needs to. So I think 89 is about if he because they said he he touched 89. Yeah, they so said he, start he, sit- he was yeah, sitting like, 86 and touched 89 mm-hmm. is what I read from Peter Gammons. But that sounds like the first time that he's done that. Yeah. So I think if if he can get up to being 89 consistently, I think then that's when we can get excited because he may have two shoulder surgeries and be old and be a long shot, but he is still Johan Santana. Right. And he was an amazing pitcher just not very long ago. So that would be pretty exciting. When was the last time the Orioles had a former Cy Young winner on the staff? I, I don't know how far back we would have to Mm. dig for that. I feel like, uh, Jim Palmer. No, because cause what Steve Stone won more recently than Palmer, right? Wasn't that? Oh yeah. But I don't I know. Forgot. I don't know if they had any former Cy winners in like the 80s and 90s of it. Yeah, maybe someone who came along that was past their prime, but I can't. Right, I can't I even know. think of a washed-up former Cy Young winner who came through. Mm-mm. It's not like Musina ever won one. Sure. Of. But yeah, so I mean, just the idea of Santana coming in. Even if he just becomes like a shutdown reliever, imagine how great that would be. Right, exactly. That would be it. Would be a boost that it would be, it would be that the Orioles don't currently have. And it would be fun. It would be a lot of fun. 
So especially if they're good and it matters. Mm-hmm. Dylan Bundy is also working his way back, although that's a whole lot more mysterious because that's like your Tommy John rehab, and they just, you know, like the beat reporters say, okay, well he threw X pitches through this number of fastballs, this number of breaking balls. And I mean, I don't know how much it means until he's facing live hitters really, but supposedly he's going to be doing that uh, around the end of the month, I think. And then I don't know when he might find his way back to Baltimore, but yeah, Dylan Bunny still seems to me like such a far away kind of thing that it's hard. I mean, obviously I'm excited for Dylan Bundy in the big sense, but as far as him coming back, I'm so much more concerned with him just coming back when he's ready, kind of the same as we were with with Manny. But it's great to hear good news. It's better than hearing bad news, that's for sure. Yeah, or no news, and then wondering what the heck is going on. I guess the big question is, is his velocity going to come back at where it was? Because that was very good. Will the Orioles let him throw his cutter is always a question, since Dan Duquette was... uh, spouting off not long ago about not liking the cutter. He's still in Bundy's best pitch, all the scouts seem to think. Yeah, I I think he'll, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to know anything about these guys, but I think isn't kind of the general book is that Tommy John doesn't really take any velocity away. So I'm, I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried about him being good again. I'm. We've had our fill of big prospects that, nothing happens and i am tired of that yeah so aren't we all aren't we all so i'm ready for dylan bundy to be dylan bundy and gossman to be gossman Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right i don't want any more brian mattis's or matt weeders's although he's very good this year so far jake arietta's (laughs) oh right those guys don't want any more guys that have to be converted to relievers to be any kind of valuable to the team. Although it's nice they found those assets, but come on, man. We were hoping that was going to be like your one through four forever. Mm-hmm. Big dreams. We did have big dreams, and then the Orioles happened, and it was very sad for a while. But it's not so bad right now. Even the most, I mean, even the most frustrating games now and even the most kind of Kevin Gossman might be injured. Dylan Bundy is injured, but they haven't flamed out yet. So you still have the big league team performing well enough that you can get excited about them from time to time. And we still have the big prospects who haven't yet flamed out. So that's kind of like a nice place to be. Like I remember being so excited about Brian Mattis's starts in the minors and well, it didn't turn out, but we were happy about it then. So it's kind of, it's not a bad it's not a bad time to be an Orioles fan. It's all a lot more exciting now that we've actually like seen the Orioles win within the past, you know, 15 years. Because I can, like, my brain can expand to accept the idea of the mm-hmm. Orioles being good now. Whereas before, any time I tried to imagine the Orioles being good, it was like I was just cruelly giving myself false hope. Right. And I also think that it's more easy for me to accept the possibility that surprising things might happen that are good. And I mean that in the 2012 Orioles, we loved them. They were, they were fantastic. They were the best team. They're probably my favorite team that I've ever seen personally play, but they did have kind of a lot of luck. They did have breaks go their way. They did have things. So as an Orioles fan, you're so conditioned to anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And that team 
was good. They were a good team, but also things went right for them. And so now I kind of feel like, well, things went right for them. Things could keep going right. You know, we could get some breaks. And so that makes it a little bit less uh, doomsday feeling when when you look at the, the team on paper, in my opinion. It really is. It's 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 nice to to know there's better possibilities. It's not like your miracle scenario is oh maybe they'll go 500 or something. You know we're we're disappointed when they're lurking around the 500 level and not breaking up beyond that because mm-hmm. we feel like man they're better than this. Why are they just winning two games and then going and losing two games? Mm-hmm. We certainly know they are better and should be better. Right. And can be better. And I think I think as long as, you know, for the for so many years, and this is a sad thing to 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 want from your team, but for many years I just wanted them to not be embarrassing because they were embarrassing so much, you know, and they're not, and even now, I mean they have every, every team has their moments pretty much. But I can pretty much count on that not being the case and hope for more. And it's nice to be disappointed when you don't get more, not because you've resigned yourself to how crappy they are. But so, yeah, that's gone are the days where if you tell if you're just talking to some random person and you tell them you're an Orioles fan, then they're going to like think they're being funny by saying I'm sorry or something like that. Like we're, we're gone. We've we've moved past those days. Those jerks. Yes. Probably yes. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. One uh, one of my good friends is a uh, a Yankees fan, and she started dating a guy a number of years ago, before 2012. It was like fall of 2011, I think. And he and I met during football season, and he, they're all big Giants fans, and you know, I like the Ravens, and we had some, you know, kind of good-natured barbs about that, and. And I guess uh, later he asked my friend, oh, well, does Stacy also like baseball? And she was like, oh, yeah. And she told him all about Camden Chad and how I'm such a huge baseball fan. And that's like number one over football. And she said his reaction was just like, really? How how does she do it? You know, or something like that. And I was just like, whatever, guy, you know, well, now she's marrying him. So I have to be nice. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I was just like, I was like, whatever, guy, like. You know, you don't just and it's you don't just stop liking a team because they're crappy, you know, and then the Orioles got good like the next year. So I was vindicated. But he was kind of like, oh, how does she do that? And I'm just like, get over it. Yankees fan. Anyway, that's my story. (laughs) Now we're the ones like smugly looking down on Astros fans or something. I hope that I never become someone who looks down on other teams unless they're teams that are jerks like some other teams that we know but you know i feel like the losing all the years of losing builds built something in me that i can't i i mean the orioles could be good every year for the next 10 years i don't think that i would ever get over the effect that they had on me the 15 years prior to that. yeah you're you're well maybe not formative fan years but just so long mm-hmm where it was like from when I was like 14 until when I was 28, they were bad. Right, 50% of your life. Yeah, the, for half my life at that point, they were bad. Well, for me, it was for my Cons- entire half life. my life consecutively because they were bad in right? several of the years. Oh, yeah. So more than that, really. Yeah. 
but 1988 yeah. was in both yeah. of our lives, for instance. Oh, but that right. was before we I both, was it's, really aware. I, I remember it happening in the sense that, like, I remember people talking about it, but I was it never affected me, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, so it's it's nice to not it's nice to not have those days going on right now. But I think that they'll they have changed the kind of baseball fan that I'll be for forever, you know. Which is why, even though my parents might disown me for it, I cannot root against the the Pirates unless they're playing the Orioles because I know what the fans feel like, you know. Same for the Royals, same for the Astros to some extent, and I hope that that doesn't change for me because I don't want to become a jerk. Right. We re- we remember, you know, kind of our kindred spirit loser teams mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the Pirates. I mean, because what was it? The the uh... The consecutive losing season streak before 2012 was like Orioles and Pirates were one and two. And I think the Royals were right up there. I, they weren't they had like one 500 season like 10 years ago that kind of broke it up for them. But as far as non winning seasons, because they were just 81 and 81 one year, as far as non winning seasons, they're right up there with being miserable fans. So I can't imagine a world where I ever am not kind of secretly rooting for the Royals or the Pirates just because I feel bad for I feel for their I don't feel bad for their fans because that sounds arrogant but I feel for them I feel the same as them and now the the Royals are pretty good this year the Pirates hopefully will end up being pretty good this year so hopefully that's all behind those three beleaguered fan bases so the Royals in the strike short in 1994 were 64 and 51 which is a 557 winning percentage uh, then they had losing Maybe seasons until 2003 when they were 83 and 79. 83, right. And then they had losing seasons until 2013. So basically, they had three winning seasons in a 20-year span. Right. And they also have not been to the playoffs since, like, the 80s. Oh, boy. Let's see. 1985. So you got to give it to them for that. You know, whew, 1985. They won the World Series when they made it in 85, but they have not been back since. At least the Orioles had a couple years in the 90s where they were in the playoffs, then they had 2012. The the Royals, man, they had a tough go of it. and But hopefully their time is coming, I hope. As long as it's not at the expense of the Orioles in like right, the division series or the championship series or something. Of course. But, as, you know, Although, if the Orioles are out of it and... I mean, how could you not? Anyone with a heart would. Yeah. Although, wouldn't an Orioles Royals ALCS be pretty pretty awesome? It would be pretty awesome as long as they won. Well, that was like 2012 when there were so many good teams in the playoffs that had, you know, and then it just ended up being the stupid Cardinals and whoever, Tigers. <laughs> but 12 was the Giants and the Tigers, wasn't it? Oh, Giants and the Tigers, right. The it was Giants was just 13. freaking won in 2010. Like, get out of here, punks. <sighs> Those home days are hopefully, hopefully have more playoff appearances and less, you know, how many years of just like 500-ish, 85-win teams do we do we cater to before? We're just like, get to the playoffs! And then we're those guys. Yeah, I, I mean, know. last year, certainly they had 85 wins and it was frustrating because there was just all those games you knew they could have won and they were good enough to win. Right. It was frustrating, but at the same time, I still enjoyed it. You know, it was frustrating in the moment, but overall, 
they still were technically in the race until almost the end of the year. And yeah, what did it? What was it? The last week of the season, really, before they were finally before eliminated? they were like officially eliminated. Uh, what was it? The game Manny got hurt was when they got eliminated officially, or maybe the next day or something. In that it was in that range. Yeah, I don't remember. I just remember that it was kind of heart wrenching at the time because they had so many opportunities, but also the fact that they we weren't counting down to 100 losses, which just made it pretty awesome in itself <laughs> so and of course this year as as much as we vented some frustrations about the team you know there's they're over 500 right now mm-hmm. they're a very flawed team this year and i think we've seen that but they are also a good team and i think that they have the potential to be even better than than they are now i mean they're playing like a 500 team right now but and if they keep playing this way then that's how they'll end up Patch up a couple flaws, and in this division that's full of flawed teams, I mean, they could be rising and staying. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to – I don't think they're just going to, like, run away with anything and win 100 games. But, no. you know, if this is a weak year for the AL East and, like, 90 wins, wins the division, and maybe 87 is second place, you know, and they're three games ahead, the Orioles uh, – you know, if some things go right, the some of these flaws get patched over. The Orioles could be that 90-win team. It's not crazy. Mm-mm. This is not crazy. Mm-mm. Nope. nope. It's not likely, I would say, but it's also not crazy. And that's that's fun. And that's part of the fun, you know? What I would rather they were the best team in baseball, of course. But I think that this is fun, too. Like, the way they've been playing, they're certainly not going to win 90. But there's there's reason to believe there's guys who can improve enough to lift the level of the team. It could happen. Mm-hmm. Is within the realm of possibility, and sure enough, that is fun. I guess we'll see where we end up in another month. Hopefully they're a little bit higher than one game above 500. Hopefully they're not any lower than one game above 500 also. That would, would be a problem. There's really no reinforcements in the immediate future. I guess, I don't, well, Chris Davis, what he said he was... Uh, well, if not that Chris Davis is the, the doctor here, but he said he talked to some other guys who had oblique injuries and he felt like he was ahead of schedule, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Yeah, he's still going to be gone for a little while, but if he's back relatively soon, he's back relatively soon. Manny is back and can do the Manny thing. Those, you know, those guys will are improvements. And if the guys who are underperforming now, we've already talked about, can get back to what we expect from them, that is basically like getting reinforcements because it'll be guys playing the way that we know that they're capable. So I, it's it's easy to feel down after the weekend series because they got dominated by even uh, in the first game, Ricky Nolasco gave up three runs in nine innings, which is very which letting is good. Ricky Nolasco complete game you <laughs> is it's pretty sad. Although they ended up winning that game, but that was kind right, of the precursor. Right, but they got just manhandled the entire weekend by three bad pitchers. And that is very, it's very easy to come away from that feeling down in the dumps and miserable and like this team isn't going anywhere. But I, I don't feel that way. And I hope that they prove me right. The Orioles, as the standings are right now, which may change by the end of the night we're recording this, but right now they are, in the second wild card spot in the American League. Now, 
one game over 500 is not going to continue to be that. So even to cling on to the bottom rung of the playoff ladder, they'd need to play better. But Of course. And yeah. if the Yankees lose tonight, they're over on the West Coast, then the Orioles will go in tomorrow tied for first place. That's right. That's right. That's another factor with the AL East being crunched together. There's There's always the potential... They just need to go out and take care of business against the Rays. The reeling last place uh, in the division Rays. It's, it's doable, but then they could go in and just get shut out all three games or something. It's possible. Well, they do have to face Archer and Price, you know, who are both capable of shutting down the team. And although, at least if you get shot down by David Price, you got shot down by David Price, not Phil Hughes. It's not as embarrassing as, like you said, getting shut down by Kevin Correa. Kevin Correa, as Mike Bordick was saying, and uh, or Phil Hughes, like you said. Not as bad. But still, let's not do it. Let's just watch them win instead. Let's not. Let's watch them win. It would be fun. It's fun when they win. Mm-hmm. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10 games, which is the best record over the last 10 out of the entire AL East. So. Yeah, suck it, rest of AL East over the last 10 games. That's right. Now just keep doing that the whole rest of the year. 6-4 and four every 10 will get you pretty far. Mm-hmm. Just, just don't have the consolation losses where it's like, well, at least they're 6-4 and four over the last 10. Because that's, I mean, so what is the most frustrating thing about the Orioles? They don't do winning streaks. Last year they had... Uh, I think three winning streaks of four or more games. Because when the rotation is what it is, yeah, it's tough it's, to put it's, together it's winning streaks. It's hard to win even three games in a row if you're getting, you know, five innings, three or four runs from your starters like regularly. It's it's tough. So that's something that would definitely need to improve. But I mean, if if we can see more good Ubaldo than not, if we can see more good Tillman than not, and then you know, there's Gossman working his way up, who might displace someone like Miguel Gonzalez or Bud Norris, and then we start dreaming about Dylan Bundy coming back and displacing somebody. I mean, there's there's the workings of a good rotation eventually, but it'll be getting there that's the interesting part. Yep. But in the meantime, we'll all be watching, and uh, hopefully it'll be fun. It should be fun. The Orioles are fun even when we hate them. Yeah, I guess. They're not not fun enough for me to stop, so. Yeah, even when they were bad, we didn't really stop watching. It's just, yeah, well, yeah. as we've already established, you and I have a sickness. We do have a little bit of a problem with the Orioles, but that makes it all the more fun when they win. And and I feel mm-hmm. like if you're out there and you care enough about yeah. the Orioles to listen to uh, the two of us talk about the Orioles, maybe you're uh, you're in our boat with having a problem. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We're all in this together. That's about all we have for tonight. Hopefully the Orioles bring us some good news by the time we are with you again next. And us being us, I don't know exactly when that will be at this moment. but We will try for it to be relatively soon. We will we will try and hit it uh, some you know off night or if there's a day game and off day the next day or whatever. We'll try and get in there. So that's all we've got for tonight. All of you take care until next time. And you too, Stacy. Well, thank you. For Stacy Fulkemer, I am Mark Brown. We are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland. And we are.